Well, I, I sure want to commend you for the spirit that you have this morning. And uh, Brother Jet and I were talking about that. It's just neat to look around and, and see you're not complaining, you're happy, you're having a blast, having a good time, even with all the circumstances. And, and then I kind of realized why that's the case for so many of you, because you've had so much practice on roadsides on the way to camp when your bus broke down and having to make the best of the heat and all of those things. Man, we have our own stories and and our young people have a lot of practice at having a good attitude in advance, uh, tough circumstances like that. And so thank you for the spirit that you've had. And, uh, and then I want to thank you for the spirit you've had just in, in uh, allowing me to plow through some material that's kind of hard for a youth con. And you've just done an excellent job of still listening and staying in tune. And uh, I'm not sure that I've made it as easy as I could, but I have tried and I want to mention this morning, I'm going to need you to do the same things. I'm going to make you think. And so it's going to be, going to try to make it immensely practical, but it has to be biblical in order to be properly practical. All right. And, and so we need to plow through two or three texts. And, and I, I think if you'll stay with me, it'll kind of complete the package at the end. Not that everything that could be said and should be said about this has been said, but I would like to bring it to something that you can take home and do something with it. And so I'm, I want to ask you to, to stay tuned. And then last, it has been a, it's been a joy to preach with Brother Jet this week. And uh, that's just an immense privilege to me. We spent over 18 years together in Stillwater. And he was, uh, he, he was an immense help to me. There's no way that I could do some of the things that I had the privilege of doing without his help and his friendship. And, and so Brother Jet's an honor for us to preach together uh, this week. And he helped raise my sons, and, uh, and, and he wasn't done with one of them, so he has one of them that he's still training as his youth director, and I'm still working on the other one as our own youth director, and, and so just some, uh, some great friendships there. So we're going to get to the Scripture in a little bit, so don't stand right now. But if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 16 and Matthew 5, 1 Samuel 16 and Matthew 5, it'll be a little bit before we get to that. Then I'm going to reference a verse in, in 1 Corinthians 6. So, again, I, I know a lot of people think, boy, young people, you just got to give them, you got to give them ear candy and, and you have to give them all this, you know, the fun stuff and you can't really make them think. But I know Christian young people know how to, need to know how to be able to think and think clearly. And so I'm going to, I'm going to treat you like you will do that and, and follow the reasoning, the biblical reasoning as we go along. And again, I promise you I'm going to do my best to make that as easy as possible. But you're going to have to do your part to think and follow through. Many of you are going to deal with friends who are struggling with this issue, maybe a lot more than you are. And you need to be able to explain somewhat biblically and then reason out from the Scriptures why you believe what you believe. And so I want to try to help with that this morning. I was going to have a quiz and see if you can remember the title of the message this morning. But I'm not going to do that to you, but I, I do want to, I want to give it to you again because it really does get to the heart of what I want to deal with. What to do with pink and blue, trucks and dolls, and dresses too. It's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Let me tell you, I guarantee tonight Brother Jet's going to do something to get a louder applause than I got because he doesn't want to get shown up. I, I know that's coming somehow, but thank you for uh, helping my ego right there. It's probably the, the most creative sermon title I've had in, in 30 years, so I, I've never had a sermon title applauded. So 
I'm, I'm going to remember this forever. <laughs> there are a lot of things concerning masculinity and femininity that we hold to or that we practice that are not in the Bible. Pink and blue is not in the Bible. I wanted to give you the challenge yesterday to say, now, after the, the main event and after the harbor, the, the water park and all of that, that I want you to go search your Bibles to see if you can find that girls are more likely to, to use pink and blue is more likely to represent boys. And I wanted you to look through your Bible and find all of that because you wouldn't be able to. Where does pink and blue come from? Because there's, even today, in a, in a crazy gender erasing effort that's going on, still a lot of the reveal parties from people that are completely lost, they're going to reveal that they're going to have a boy by some blue streamer coming out of one of those popping things or all the, all the creative ways that they're doing that. And if it's a girl, a lot of times it'll be, a lot of times it'll be peak. Where does that come from? It didn't come from the Bible. Do we hold to it? Boys play with trucks. Girls play with baby carriages when they're young. Where'd that come from? I mean, can I preach that this morning? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of going to, but, but in a, I, I need to set the stage first. Boys play with army men. Girls play with baby dolls. I was, I was hoping for some more support, but anybody 40 and over supported me right there. Yeah, okay, good, good. We're, we're switching from amens to applause, and that's okay. That, that's, that's pretty creative. Okay, don't, don't, don't hit me. Don't throw anything at me. I'm just, I'm, just following, I'm just following kind of a traditional line here. Boys do pants and girls do dresses. All right? Don't, 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 get, don't, have, don't get emotional about that yet because we're going we're gonna to be very reasonable in all of this. Guys open the door for girls, not girls opening the door for guys. What's the book, chapter, and verse for that? <laughs> the girls are applauding now. Okay, y'all are going to get me used to this, and then I'm going to preach at Stillwater on Sunday, and it's going to seem so dead because I don't get any applause. All I get are amens, you know, that's biblical. Guys sit in the driver's seat, girls sit in the passenger seat. Man, and to think that I was nervous about this part. <laughs> Guys love army movies, girls love Hallmark. <laughs> Guys carry wallets, girls carry purses. <laughs> I threw this one in for Brother Gaddis, and you may not understand it. Guys go to barbers. Girls go to hairdressers. <laughs> now I realize some of you are thinking, man, this is not, this is not my life at all. This is, this is totally different. I understand that. I, but I think you can tell somewhere along the lines, those things have been established. How? Why? Does it matter? Now listen, much of this comes from a culture that was handed down to us from a culture that maybe I could call the Titanic culture. That they valued gender in an extremely strong way. Even if they weren't 
completely backing it up biblically, they knew we need men to be like this. We need women to be like this. And, and they value gender a lot more than our current culture does. And, and they developed these outward expressions of something that they were convinced of and convicted of internally. And these outward expressions would be used to support the view that masculinity, we need men to be masculine in this way. We need ladies to be feminine in this way. And, and they, they didn't say, well, the Bible says it has to be like this, that, that the men have to be blue and the ladies have to be pink. There was just something that they valued so much about gender that it bled into their personal practices on a daily basis. And they began to develop th these, these characteristics that would not be from the Word of God directly, but they used them to enable a man to remain a man. And they would instill them in their children from the earliest ages, from, the from their infancy even, so that they would be sure that they understood we need in our culture for our country to be what it is and for us to be what we need to be. We need our boys to grow up to be men like this. We need our girls to grow up to be ladies like this. And, and that became established. And you got to realize some of this, so much of what we're talking about came from a time and a culture in which, like the Titanic, a man was willing to give his life for a woman because of her gender. Ladies, that's powerful. That a man that doesn't even know you would, would take a bullet for you. There is nothing else that you can receive basically as a woman in a sense that would, that would demonstrate how much you are valued more than the fact that a man would give his life for you. That's how Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us. Ultimately, he gave his life for us. And there are men that are willing to do that for women. There was a time in culture when that was how much the genders were valued. And these expressions are simply ways that they used to ensure that we propagated that same thing. The role of men was promoted from the time a boy was born. Men were going to have to fight wars for us to have a country. They were going to have fields to plan. They were going to have governments to run. Leadership from men was needed. And there were things that they would establish early on so that they would have year after year after year of learning how to be a man, learning how to fight, knowing when to walk away, knowing how to lead, knowing how to treat a lady so that she enjoyed being a lady, and knowing how to provide what was needed this this toughness and this strength and yet a certain tenderness when that was absolutely necessary. And the role of a woman was promoted from birth. They, had, they might have families to raise. There were soldiers that needed caring for in times of war. There was a tenderness that they provided that a man could not provide that seemed to make life worth living. Men would work in the field to provide. The ladies would work at home to provide strength for the men that worked in the field. They both knew their part. And so much of that culture involved all of these little practices that were established to help men be better equipped and ladies to be better equipped for those things as they got older. And, the, and these just developed over time. Now our culture currently in this culture, your generation is trying to erase gender. I, I think you can see that. that you, you would be blind not to see that. And so one of the things that is happening is there's this targeting of these outward expressions that supported a biblical view of gender. 
That there, one of the terms that's going around in the media today, maybe you've heard it, is, is the media is saying, oh, we've got this toxic masculinity that's destroying our boys. Now, sometimes what they're talking about is a, is a male that's acting like an idiot and a moron. And, and they're suggesting that that's biblical masculinity. If there's some guy here who, who goes around and bullies other guys and, and demeans girls, th- th- that probably is toxic masculinity. It's just, it's, it's being a moron. It's being an idiot. It's not, guys, you ought not do that because you're making the rest of the men seem kind of bad. And, the, and the, you give a, the, the, the media a target by which they can say, see, you got, you got guys that, that claim to be like in the image of God and they're masculinity and that seems to be dangerous. Well, yes, it is possible that men are dangerous, but our culture and our nation needs them because they need them to be able to do the fighting and the protecting when it's necessary, the things that matter. But there are times that, that they would say, well, it's a toxic masculinity that we shouldn't raise them just to say, well, they play with these kinds of toys. Or it might even be a toxic femininity that says, why are we raising our kids to think, well, they, only boys do this and only girls do this? And there is a target on a lot of those expressions. And, and so, the biblical masculinity honors and cherishes and protects the woman. And so, when a man is doing that, maybe he is going to just one of these tiny little practices in which a man and a woman come to a door and the man opens the door for the woman, for the girl, and, and she's able to walk through. And it's just a tiny little expression that supports the care that a, a man in biblical masculinity would provide for a young lady or, or she's carrying some packages and, and the boy goes over and the man goes over and says, I, I'll, let me help you carry those. I want to do that. Those are not biblical issues. They are simply little practices that support that, that our culture is saying, oh, that might be dangerous. You, you shouldn't do that. But a culture that wants to erase the distinction is is doing that in part because they are well on their way down the road of Romans chapter 1. And it has to start somewhere. Listen, young people, when we feel like the biblical truth of gender is under attack, we can get pretty protective of some of those practices that they're trying to erode. I, I, I want to admit that right up front. There's some things that you, you might say, man, Brother Hardy, you're... You're, you're pretty passionate about that, and it seems like y'all are somewhat passionate about it because of the applause earlier, but you might say, you know what, what is this deal with, with mo- you know, when you're driving in the car, most of the time you're the one doing the driving, and, and your wife, can she not drive? Yeah, she can drive. She can probably drive better than me sometimes. Now, she can't get there as fast as I can, but she can, she can get there, and, and she can do fine. That, that's not the point. It's that we're just trying to uh, keep, keep alive just this personal practices of, of a leadership aspect and a helping and a providing. And, and, and you might say, man, you, you, feel, you feel pretty passionate about that. Or, or, or you might hear a dad say, man, we're pretty passionate. My boy's not going to play with dolls. And he might sound pretty passionate. And the mom might do the same thing. Uh, you, you might hear your parents say or somebody else or your youth director say, man, we're not going to get our daughter a, an army tank for Christmas. That doesn't make sense. Or... We don't want our boys looking more like girls and our girls looking like boys. We don't want our girls watching army movies while our boys are, are up, uh, cuddled up on the couch with a nice warm blanket watching Hallmark. Now, now listen, sometimes you're going to hear some talk about those things and they might be pretty passionate about it. 
But it's not because they're trying to defend a biblical command. They're simply trying to support all of these practices that, that help promote the very biblical masculinity and femininity that take place. They're not directly biblical things. We have to be careful not to defend these as biblical commands. We really do. We, we, we don't have the authority to do that. But when we know that masculinity is under attack like it is, we want to defend anything masculine that we can because of, the, of where that road ends and what it causes. And, and, and it, it isn't wrong unless we claim it to be something more than it is. So it's not a biblical command, and, and, and we have to be careful not to defend it that way. We must not, listen, we must not turn these things into a litmus test of spirituality and, and masculinity so that others that maybe didn't grow up in that, they come and they're like, man, I'm, I'm not them, and I can't be them. We have to be careful that we don't turn it into that kind of a test. That, that's, that is important. We cannot declare some guy as feminine simply because he doesn't meet all all the boxes, and there's a reason towards the end that we have to be careful about that. Anytime in our biblical Christianity we need to be able to separate what is explicitly biblically commanded and what is helpful beyond that. But there is no denying that these practices existed to promote and protect a more biblical view of gender. Now, I'm not going to turn to the, the text in 1 Corinthians 6. Now, please, please follow. I'm going, to, I'm going to really encourage you to think about this. Paul said something interesting in 1 Corinthians 6 when he said, Now, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Meaning all things are not profitable. He said, there are a lot of things that I can do that if I, if I do them, I'm not breaking a law. And particularly, I'm not breaking a biblical law. We would take it as the Word of God. There are things that the Word of God says that we... Could, we can do, we should do, and things that we shouldn't do. And we would call that maybe God's law for us and that we would practice. And Paul is saying, you know, that there's, a, there's all of these things that are lawful for me. He says, but I have another criteria. There are things that, that, that the, the Scripture says and that God wants me to do. There are some other things that the Bible hasn't said that I can't do but I realize it's going to make it harder for me to do what the Bible says to do, this particular practice. And so I'm going to realize this is not profitable, even though it's not commanded or forbidden in the Bible. It's not profitable for the things that are commanded. And so I'm going to choose not to do this, or I'm going to choose to do this. I'm not going to treat it as if it's God's law. Let me give you an example. A couple chapters after that. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and, and he's talking about an issue called the meat offered to idols. And, and so there was the, the pagans, as they worshiped their gods, they would offer meat to their gods. And, and then that, that meat would then be sold in the marketplace. And the pagans had used that meat to bestow honor upon their god. But now it's being sold in the marketplace. And, and some Christians felt like, well, we can eat that meat. It's no big deal. Other Christians felt like, no, we, we shouldn't eat that meat because it's been offered to another God. We don't want people to think that we are buying that meat in order to honor that God. And so Paul makes it clear, I, it's lawful for me to eat meat offered to idols. But he said, that's not all I'm concerned about. Because I, there is a law that I've been given, and that is that I not be a stumbling block to my brother. And so, in order to not be a stumbling block to my brother, 
Paul got very passionate about saying, I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols. It wasn't because it was a biblical command. It's because it would support a biblical command. And he wasn't just like, well, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm probably not going to eat any meat or at least not you know, when somebody's around. That's not what he said. He said, while the world standeth, if it makes my brother to offend, I will eat no meat offered to idols. And Paul was extremely passionate about something that was not explicitly biblical, but that helped support that which was biblical, that he not be a stumbling block to his brother. So there is a place for passion about those things that are not explicitly stated in Scripture, but that can help us support that which is explicitly stated. We do that all the time. I don't have time to go in to a lot of those, but, but Paul was very passionate about that. And I want to challenge you to look at gender that way. There are aspects of masculinity and femininity that are not explicitly biblical. They are simply expedient or profitable for supporting masculinity, supporting femininity, or, or promoting it. And, and to enforce some of these things, for some of you might would seem strange. I, I have had it where I've gone to a door and there's a lady going to the door as well and, and I open the door for her and I've, I've literally had at least two times had them saying, um, I don't remember the word that they used, but don't humor me or something along those lines because they did not buy into this practice of that a man would open the door for a lady and, and basically chastising me for that. And that, that's fine. I understand what's going on in, in our culture that's taken place. And so you might see that enough times and, and guys, that happens to you and then you decide, man, this, this stuff is strange. Is it biblical? Why am I doing that anyway? Well, it doesn't have to necessarily be biblical. But what is biblical is that you have to have some practices in your life that support masculinity and promote masculinity that God says is important. And ladies, you have to do the same thing. And so these practices existed for a reason at a time of greater appreciation for masculinity and femininity. And, and some of those at times you're going to think are strange. But I'm, I'm asking you to always give thought, maybe even ask somebody how does this actually support that? You know, I, I don't actually know. I, I tried to find out why is it that men settled on blue, ladies settled on pink. I, I read some things and I wasn't confident whether that would be it or not. For me personally, it doesn't even matter. The fact that there are two colors that represent two different genders says, man, that, that's actually pretty close to biblical. It doesn't matter what the colors are or that there are colors, but that very practice supports two genders. And it causes me to say, I don't have to claim that's biblical. I'm not going to claim there's any level of spirituality in, in blue and pink. But it exists to help support the very thing that God did create. And it seems like that's going to be helpful. Yeah. So um, we're going to practice blue and pink in our home. If you want to do green and purple, have it. Nobody knows what it means, what kind of kids you're going to have. But we, we still, they're going to have a tum-tum in, in that case probably. <laughs> All right, now... Now go to 1 Samuel 16. I, I want us to really be sure we understand this principle. This principle is much bigger than gender, uh, and, and yet I, I want us to see this. Are you still with me? Amen. All right, good, good. I, I appreciate your attention. Now let me just remind you what, what's taken place here. Just a, a small thing. Uh, Samuel is, is supposed to anoint uh, the, the king, uh, the next king. And he goes to... He, he comes uh, before Eliab, and, and, and Eliab is going to be the, what, what 
seems to be the human reasoning is Eliab was the oldest son of Jesse. And, and so Samuel is probably thinking, obviously, okay, but yeah, he, he's the one. He, he's, he's going to be the king. And, and God says something in, in verse 7 when Samuel had decided in verse 6, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But look at verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's an important verse. So, so God said, no, it, it's not him. Samuel, it may look like him, but that's not him. And, and, and he makes a, a valid point to him that, that I don't see what man sees. I'm God. I see things that man cannot see. And I am looking on the heart, and I know the heart that I need for the next king. And so you're going to have to keep going until you get to the one that has that kind of heart. Why does God look on the heart? Because that's where it all begins. That's where it's real. That's where it's real or it isn't real. And God has the capacity to see what is in our heart when man can only see what's on the outside. And so he just he makes it abundantly clear that's important. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. That's the reason God looks on the heart because everything else comes from the heart. That's what, that's what the expression represents. So, listen, God didn't tell Samuel that the outside didn't matter. That's not what that verse says at all. It just says that God looks on the heart. He doesn't see as man seeth, only that God sees the real thing inside. And, and sometimes we may not like that, but we ought to be thankful that there is somebody who loves us that much who knows our heart exactly as it is. And that's our God. Now go to Matthew chapter 5. I want to tell you something else God said. This time in the form of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, that's interesting. Because this is Jesus Christ who as God the Son came and lived, lived as God visually so that we could see Him. And when He came, He taught His disciples. He said, listen, you need to realize that men are watching you on the outside. And the way that you live your life on the outside, what you say, what you do, how you conduct yourself causes them to either think about you or to think about something else, or you have the ability for them to see you on the outside. They can't see your heart. They can only see your outside. And it, you have the ability to live on the outside in a way that enables them to see your God. And even, shall we say, stand in awe of Him. Because of the way you live on the outside. They have an opportunity to use what men see. The outside to make a statement about God. It ought to cause us to take advantage of what men can see to help them stand in awe of Him. 
so, so here, here we get, uh, Dan and Taylor, can y'all come up and help me here for a minute? I'm, I'm asking them to help. Not the same illustration. I want to I do this just a little bit different. And so you, in, in a little bit, you can keep in mind the, the, the 100% and the 0%. But, but Taylor, if you'll just stand right here, and, and Brother Dan, if you'll, you'll stand right here. So that the fundamental fact that we've talked about here about your existence is you were created in the image of God as a male or female. And what God says and what, what was illustrated in, and stated in, in 1 Samuel 16 is that God knows what's in the heart of this man. And that God wants, because he was created in the image of God as a man, God wants in his heart to be a heart of masculinity, of gratitude that God created him to live out his image as a man. And God wants that to start in his heart. And in Taylor's heart, God wants it to be the case that, that God made her to demonstrate his image and some of his attributes as a woman, as a lady. And he wants it to be and start in her heart that, that she has a, a gratitude and an appreciation and even an excitement about the fact that I get to bear some of the attributes of God as a woman in a way that my husband cannot, in the way that my, my sons cannot, and, and that she gets to pass that on to her daughter Emma, and, and that, she, that she has it in her heart, and it is most important to God that it is in her heart, and that it's in his heart, and that it's in your heart. Because God sees your heart. He knows. Girls, if, you would, if you're upset that you were born a girl and that you think you'd be better as a boy, He sees that. He knows that. He's not upset at that, but He sure wants it to be different. He wants to know that there are young ladies that, that realize, I'm not going to buy into our culture telling me that that I'm sub-something just because I have to have this element of submission. Men have to submit. Everybody has to submit. Jesus had to submit. But God wants you young ladies to have in your heart first that you have the privilege of being a lady because you get to illustrate some of his attributes in ways that we men cannot. And that Brother Dan has the same opportunity and it starts in your heart. And that's where it has to be. And I'm, if anything happens by the time you leave YouthCon concerning the gender, I hope that something is sparked in your heart to say, I want to be the gender God made me. And I'm going to, as Brother Jets, I'm going to lock all these other voices out. And I want my heart to be in tune with my Creator to be the man or the woman that He wanted me to be. But then Jesus said, but it's important that people know about that. It's important that they be able to watch Dan and that he somehow lives his life in such a way that they can stand in awe of a God who created men. And that a woman who says, you know, I, that this is in my heart. And so I, I want to do what Jesus said as well. And I want to live my life in such a way that when they see me, they will glorify my father and the fact that he created the, the gender of a woman so that she could do things that a man could not do. And decides, I'm, I'm going to do that which is explicitly biblical, but I am going to weave into my life in every way possible 
that which helps me be a biblical man. And that which helps me be a biblical lady. And it means that you're going to have to take that line that, that we had from 100% and you're going to have to figure out, let, let's say that as a man that, that, that you're, hey, Brother Dan, come in here, let, let me go ahead and do this again. You're right here and you've got to decide in, in every practice and including some practices that you have to recognize were handed down at a time when, when gender was respected and it may not be time to jettison a lot of those things. It might be that we need to see the wisdom of a culture that respected masculinity and femininity and valued it immensely and say, let's not toss those yet just because we say, well, bless God, there's no book, chapter, and verse for that, so I don't have to do it. Paul would disagree with you in some of those cases that you might say the most important thing is that we have a heart of masculinity and that we live it out, and some of these practices can help. So before we toss them, we ought to take any individual practice and say, now, is that practice going to take me in this direction or is that practice going to take me in this direction? It, it doesn't have to be completely that the Bible said do this. It might be the Bible says you be a man and you have a lot of practices that are either going to take you in that direction or in that direction both in your heart before God and in what you demonstrate to the men and ladies around you. And every lady's got to do the same thing. She's got to take every practice and say, now in, in my heart before God, but then as I live this out before others, is this step, is this going to take me in that direction or is it going to take me in this direction? Young people, listen. It's either going to make you part of the solution or part of the problem. We started all this out by saying you have an incredible opportunity to be the, the youth group that young people who are so confused about all this, this can come into. And they can see you young ladies and they can say, man, we've got an incredible God that he enables, he enables young ladies to live this way and to be so fulfilled and so content in the fact that they're created in the image of God. And young men can come in and they can see that. And, and man, it's going to it's going to take maybe some of those steps that, that you say, well, I don't know, this isn't directly in the Bible, but it will support masculinity and it will support femininity. Now, stay with me. I'm, I'm getting close to done here. I, I use this analogy a lot of times. There is a ditch on both sides of this road. Because for some, it will be all inside and no outside. It's like, well, I know I'm a man. Don't judge me. I can wear pink all I want, and if I want to carry a man purse, you got to live with it. I thought I'd get more reaction out of that one, too, because you know, you know, that goes around a little bit. And, and there's some that will say, hey, that doesn't matter. I, I, can, I can do these things that would be more feminine. You can't judge me. And, well, you're right. We can't know the heart. And, and, and we have to be careful that, that we, don't just, we don't just decide, well, I know what my heart is, and it doesn't matter what the rest of it is. That's a ditch on one side of the road, that it's all inside. And I, and I wonder how much of it is inside if it can't get outside, but it's all inside, and there's no outside. But I'm telling you, we have another ditch in our conservative circle sometimes, that it's all outside, and there's no inside. I mean, this girl can wear skirts and dresses all the time, but there is absolutely an absence of a meek and quiet spirit. Let me just remind you the dress is a mark of femininity, not spirituality. It doesn't indicate what's in the heart. It could sure be used to demonstrate, I'm so thankful that I'm a lady. 
But I'm telling you, this ditch over here is that it's all outside and there's no inside. And some of you guys, you might be tough. And the youth group knows, man, you're tough. But you don't know how to treat a girl. Your heart's pretty corrupt in what you use girls for right now on your phone. It's all out. You, you, maybe you can shoot the three-pointer. You can score the winning touchdown, but you're not a man. Not according to God. It's all outside. And it's not inside. And God said, well, man, I, I need my people. I need my people to be concerned about the inside and then give it an illustration on the outside so that people can see it. Thank you both very much. The helpful thought becomes whether something will further diminish masculinity, femininity, or potentially enhance it. So a practice that encourages girls to play with baby dolls would maybe encourage a step towards femininity. It's not, it's not a biblical issue. But it might put us in, in that step, in, in that direction. And teaching a boy to play with dolls might would take him a little bit further from that. And we're not turning it into a biblical issue. We're just saying the biblical aspect of masculinity and femininity needs to be lived out in a way that is convincing. So let me conclude with these few thoughts, the whole aspect of gender at YouthCon. Young people, please, I'm begging you, your youth leaders, your, your pastor and his wife are begging you, please develop a heart that God sees as passionate about masculinity and femininity. It's got to start in the heart. And God can help you do that. Let God develop in you that passion for being a lady, for being a man. Be open as you read through your Bible for the way that men conducted themselves when God was pleased with them. And, and how ladies conducted themselves. You, you'll get your own understanding of what a biblical man and a biblical lady is. It's, it's all through the Bible and, and you can see that. So develop a heart that God sees as passionate about masculinity and femininity. Second, take every opportunity to let men see you embracing God's design. So they can stand in awe of Him. That you love being a lady. That you love being a man. And then third, realize it's okay to be passionate about expedient things. Paul was. Paul said, I, I'm not going to let somebody put me in a corner that, well, the Bible doesn't say you can't do that. Paul didn't care. Paul said, I, I want to be everything that God wants me to be. I, I, I want to be able to influence people in ministry. I don't want to be an offense. And so I'm going to be passionate. I will never do this again. If, if it affects that. And he was able to be extremely passionate. There are things that are profitable to being masculine and feminine, and it's okay to be passionate about those. Just don't make them a spiritual checklist. And, and, and the reason why is really the last point here. Because there's going to be boys and girls coming into your youth group that don't fit that mold of masculinity and femininity. And if we've turned it into a spiritual checklist, it's going to be hard for them to feel like they can ever get what they need there. There's no need to make them feel bad for that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure a, a guy may come in and he's carrying a purse. He needs the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be 
challenged in all the particular areas of purses versus wallets at that point because it starts in the heart and he just needs to be there long enough to have some young men, some young ladies who he can see and they model that and he can find some acceptance there. Now, we, we talked about this in, our, in our, our youth workers class where they can find understanding, not justification. But the justification, doesn't, you don't have to worry about that for a while, just an understanding and enable them to see God's image of a man and a woman. What is most important is that every one of them develop a relationship with Jesus Christ in the heart. And then you have an opportunity to help them develop a heart to stand in awe of God over time by His design of gender. Live out these expressions of gender before them and give them time to see the value. Give them a chance to see a group of godly young people who love being men and who love being ladies. Let's stand together.